Hello, and welcome to season four of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. This is a podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for transitioning out of campus-based positions in education. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard, pivoted out of campus-based positions, hold senior-level positions in organizations, and love it. What started as an idea that they thought might benefit a few is clearly filling a need across the nation with education professionals during the Great Resignation. Jamie and Tom are excited to be back for another season with over 25,000 downloads across our first three seasons. So have a seat or take a walk. However you listen to podcasts and get ready for ideas and inspiration. And if you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating. Hello, and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman. And I'm Tom Studdard. And today to hear a fascinating pivot, fascinating because I don't think most folks would expect this journey, but definitely excited to learn more about it. And we're here with Cindy C. And we are really excited, Cindy, for you about your journey and uh, where you started and where you landed and all of the in-betweens. So thank you again for your time. Um, That said, if you can get started by introducing yourself and telling us about your background in education, um, what kind of motivated you to pivot and what did you pivot to? Okay, well, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So a little bit about my background. Uh, I started um, in higher ed about 10 years ago love as a student um, at San Jose State University, uh, refereeing in role sports, kind of slowly made my way through that program and just fell in love with going to work every day and figured out that that's what I wanted to do with my life. So I, you know, pursued it full, full, did a stint at Wichita State. That's where I got my GA, Uh, went on to University of South Carolina, spent a year out there working in their intramural sports program before getting my first full-time coordinator at University of Nebraska at Omaha. I was their assistant director of competitive sports for three years there. Had a great time. Was super, uh, almost fell in love with Omaha and almost wanted to stay there, but was looking for a way to get a little closer to home, which is California. And that's where I kind of began my journey interviewing for jobs to the West Coast and ultimately landed at Colorado State. And you all briefly, we talked about this before we started recording, but that's where I met Lauren Branch, who's been on your podcast as well. Um, and at Colorado State, I spent three years there as their assistant clubs. Um, and ultimately, my pivot out of higher ed was really just, uh, I'm sure a lot of what a lot of people have experienced through the pandemic, but my experience with um, ed and the demand of higher ed just became so much. Um, I'm sure as higher ed folks, you all know and understand that the emails never stop coming. The phone never stops ringing. And everything felt like we use term, terminology dumpster fires all the time. And it just felt like one dumpster fire after another. And that's what we experienced in higher ed. But uh, ultimately came down to a lack of support from the highest levels of the administration for me. A few different significant moments uh, in my experience at Colorado State that for me were pretty big deal breakers. Um, you know, we talk about being in higher ed where student student comes first. 
that's what we're here for, student development, getting them to the wherever they want to go next. A few different really weird things happened to where I felt the administration really showed me that you don't care about students. You care more about the potential dollars coming into the university and protecting that first and foremost. And that was just something I couldn't get on board with anymore. And so that really got me. What's next? What can I do that still brings me joy um, is still going to allow me to, you know, make a decent living. I didn't want to make an entire career pivot just to be miserable somewhere else. And so it actually figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and for the first year of that soul searching, trying to figure out what I was going to do really was all sports related things, because that's what I knew. And that's what I understood. I uh, looked a lot at different major sporting companies like Nike and opportunities there and nothing just felt right to fully jump into. And I made made decision to go into real estate, uh, Jamie. So you definitely hinted to earlier, it's definitely an interesting switch. I've always had a love for it. I've always had a fascination with it. as a BIPOC individual, um, owning a home is something that is like ingrained in you. Uh, it's something that's like a, for everybody is a huge milestone, but as, as a person of color, that's something that's like deeply, deeply ingrained, just like education is deeply in you. And so my dad took me like house hunting and restaurant hunting uh, weekend after weekend when I was in high school, just mostly to play translator. <laughs> but I kind of fell in love with, you know, just looking, looking behind the scenes, behind the curtains of a house, you know, when nobody, nobody's restaurant. And I correlate a lot of that with my rec experience into what we call a facilities tour, you know, like peeling back behind the curtains and seeing what your facility looks like and all that. And I, uh, at some point, just kind of it clicked for me. It was like, this could be a really cool thing. And this is finally something that my family is that I do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I made that pivot um, fully last October. OK. That's great. What a what a fascinating story. Not only, I mean, yes, the background at you know the various schools, but the impetus and sort of the not the impetus, but really the underlying passion for moving into real estate and how it ties more to uh, sort of family than it probably did to your 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 previous work in higher ed. I think that's that's really fascinating. although you did make that 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 line connection between a facilities tour and. <laughs> real estate. So I, it, that, it's interesting to sort of see how how people sort of move into work that, you know, gives them a sense of passion and a sense of security, but also what they used to do and what they do now is really interesting. I've, I've said many times, like, I left higher education, but I didn't leave education. I still do the things that I loved. I was really passionate about teaching others, and I still have the opportunity to do that. And so I think that that's great. Now, I do have, um, before I move to the officially official next question on the sheet, which is getting a real estate license isn't like an overnight thing, right? Like you don't just like one day say, hey, I'm going to be a real estate license or a real estate agent. There's a whole process and there's, I think there's courses you have to take and a test you have to take. Were you able to sort of do that like like at night while you were still working or did you just say, hey, I'm out of higher ed I'm gonna, and then I'm going to focus on real estate? Like how did you sort of manage sort of your exit strategy, I guess? Yeah. Thanks for asking that, Tom. Yes, definitely. It wasn't like a Obviously not. I actually started that journey in the midst of the pandemic when everything was completely shut down. The program that I oversaw at Colorado State was in full shutdown mode. Um, so I literally had a lot of time on my hands to where, you know, I, I was working remote. I decided to seek, you know, other educational opportunities. And that was something that just was doable online. 
so I was able to take three months of that period to do my courses. I treated it like a work day or, you know, when I had other projects at uh, Colorado State, I would just, you know, do on-demand classes after my five o'clock would be done, you know, whatever projects I was working on. And I would do a few hours every, every single night or multiple hours during the day if I had nothing else going on. So I was able to tackle that in about three months time. And there is a test, there's a background check. Um, your licensure is per the state. Um, so you're not nationally certified and licensed. And I don't want to dumb it down at all that, you know, taking your real estate license isn't an easy feat, but I think as folks and having that background, many of us having a master's degree, like that level of study was prepped me a lot for it. You know, it wasn't anything that I thought was super strenuous, but there are very some like really thought provoking law based questions that are your knowledge in terms of like, you know, do you understand housing law? Um, those kind of things that you really don't want to overlook. Right. So I'm fascinated by real estate. My colleague, Jenny, and if she's listening, she'll love this. She feels like she can find anybody's home on the internet. You telling them, you know, like where they are, you know, welcome to sort of Google Earth, as well as all the other things that she uses. So I'm fascinated by real estate. Um, and I guess my question for you, or my next set of questions for you is really around sort of what you currently do in your role and sort of the data, somebody who doesn't know what a real estate agent does or only only sees sort of the the cursory stuff, right? Um, tell us what it's like on a day-to-day and, you know, what what makes somebody successful in, in a role like this, especially if they're interested of a uh, of an industry. Yeah, day-to-day is is interesting. There's not just like higher ed and just like, you know, the, our previous life. Nothing's ever the same, which is kind of why I like it. That's what that's the realm that I'm used to. It really depends on the client active clients you have, uh, a lot of the day is filled with client follow-up, phone calls, marketing your own business, coming to real estate, you are your own business. And so you've got to find ways to do that marketing on your own. Whereas previously in higher ed, a team of folks who do that, um, at at least that's what my experience has been. I've never had to do my own marketing. I've never had to create social media. So it's a learning curve for me in that sense of getting comfortable with marketing yourself and selling yourself in that sense. What you do, thinking about having your face plastered on materials is weird. <laughs> um, but the day-to-day, depending on what it is, you know, if I'm uh, newly under contract with a client, then there's inspection, there's meeting with appraisers, depending on which side of the trend, whether you're the buying agent or listing agent, right? Uh, going through and connecting with lenders, making sure we're on track, keeping up with deadlines, um, title comp- connecting with title companies. Uh, a lot of things happen on the backside of a, of a home buying, home selling transaction that our clients will never see. Probably 12, mm, truly 12 different people probably involved in a single transaction all in all between the lenders team, the title companies team, the two agents or the two agents teams and their like assistants that, that are involved in the picture plus our clients parts. So it just depends what it is. And then coupled with showings, um, as real estate, as a real estate agent, you have to be super duper flexible with, you know, um, your nights aren't your nights anymore. Whereas, you know, that was kind of true for students, but in this industry, a lot of folks just expect you to be able to pick up the phone whenever and be ready to go see a house whenever they are, which isn't always doable. Thankfully, um, my experience hasn't been super awful where folks get upset. If anything, it's actually contrary to that. I, I find that in this industry, folks tend to understand if you're busy at night, whereas 
working with students that was like, well, I just emailed you two hours ago. How, why haven't you responded to me? <laughs> that expectation is different and it's more realistic. What you alluded this to this a little bit. It's fascinating to hear all of the roles that you've you've taken on as far as paperwork processor, marketer, marketer, all of the things resonates with me because I've bought a couple of, of houses, but have also felt quite intimidated by the process. That said, I'm curious, you, you mentioned that you like the fact that the days are busy and, and different. You know, I, I bet listening are probably curious about your job satisfaction yeah. sort of before and then after. I mean, it sounds like there were definitely challenges in higher ed uh, associated with values alignment, but um, would love to just get your your high level thoughts on how you enjoyed the job before and now this one. Oh, that's a layered question. Uh, <laughs> it's apples and oranges in, in the sense where you know I loved what I did through and through. I love the student development piece. It's what it's why we do it, right? It's why we put up with all the things that we put up in, with in higher ed and work the long hours that we do. Um, there's nothing like that connection that you get with students period. What's really nice for me is I can try to times into feeling like that there's a parallel being drawn with uh, new buyers sometimes where you're educating, you're men- it's, it's mentorship, it's, it's multiple hats, right, of coaching them through a process that is super scary and overwhelming, right, regardless of buying or selling. Sometimes I can trick my brain into, you know, you're guiding them just like you would a student, right? They don't know anything about this. You're teaching them all the things, all the lingo, all the jargon. Um, just like you would in anything else in higher ed. Um, so that's kind of nice to be able to parallel in that in that sense. Satisfaction piece of it, when I reframe and I think, I didn't come into real estate thinking that I would be educating. Um, and it's same with higher ed. You know, when I went into higher ed, I'm like, I'm doing sports things, you know? And somewhere along the way, what you're doing is educating just outside of the room, outside of the classroom education. And when I came came to terms with that, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And same thing with real estate. It's it's education and it's service is how I see it. I don't, I've never been a salesperson. My very first job ever as a teenager was a telemarketer for the San Francisco Chronicle, and I hated it. <laughs> I would never do sales. So I don't consider myself a salesperson. I consider myself providing a service and hopefully providing education along the way in real estate. Yeah. That's I think that's a great parallel, especially with your reference to sort of first gen um, college students. You know, I, because for me, I, you know, not a whole lot of folks in my family have bought homes. It's just like going to college, it's, it's a very confusing process and you need to have someone to lean on to guide you through it. And I, I remember times asking what I know was kind of basic, almost stupid, if that like question. And I, I had great folks helping me with the purchasing process, but they still spoke like, I'm like, I need addition and subtraction. And they were still like algebra level. Uh, so, so yeah, I think that's a really, really good bit. I have, I have a follow-up question and then Tom's going to ask you about skills. But one of the things that I think is a bit unique about your circumstances is that you are a little bit of a, in addition to campus rec to Real, real TV and quite different. You're a bit of a new compared to a fair amount of the um, folks that we've had on the show. 
And I'm just kind of curious what, um, how you think that affected your decision? Um, not affected as far as whether to or not, just the process in deciding to pivot into a career that you probably, you know, you left five years ish post masters. If I got your the math right ish, mm-hmm. or was it more than? Look really that, young. But, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, it's about six or seven years post. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, maybe help me out a little bit. And like you mentioned that I was a little bit younger in the profession, younger in as in like into the new pivot, like in age in general. Just so I um newer into the profession as in like a lot of folks have that we have had on the show have been 10, 15, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years. And they're like, I've I've done this ready to try something else. And a lot of newer professionals are are not sure whether they should yeah. pivot because they haven't really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. experienced that much. They're like, should I try another university? And then there's feelings, I think a little bit more feeling way because it's not been long since they finished their degree and they're already changing their mind already quote unquote I mean it's all it's all um everybody has challenges no matter what stage of their career but I was just curious if yeah yeah it's like with uh regard to those factors it, it definitely was a hard decision it's been 10 years since I decided to you know get into higher ed if- full on went into it and you know was have been extremely happy the entire time uh, other than the few big pivotal moments that I've kind of briefly about. Uh, but ultimately I just, I, I knew that it wasn't sustainable. You know, the, the mental, emotional health part of it wasn't sustainable. And I come from a very traditional Chinese background where you don't talk about your feelings and that's not how seeking therapy was like a huge, huge, you know, milestone for me. And it's still something we don't talk about in our household. Like something that I probably do. I can openly talking about, talk about it now, but that's not something that I was able to share with my family. And I just, I knew for me, um, I, my anxiety levels were so high um, at my last two years in higher ed to where I had trouble sleeping. I was seeking alternative medication. Um, point because of stress I lost mobility in my in my head and neck so I had weeks recurring injuries to where I couldn't turn left and right I actually showed up to it it just happened when meeting with my executive director about some conduct level things and felt very very pressing so I showed up to work knowing I couldn't turn left or right you know that's that's a dangerous thing and so I said you know I'm here for this meeting I'm leaving I'm taking myself to ER it doesn't get better in a few hours you know, that's the level of stress to the point where it was manifesting so heavily in my body that I can't sustain myself. I'm 30. I just turned 35. So at that point, I was like 32, 33 and having major level like anxiety from it. And so I have a choice. You know, it was really hard to walk away from the student development. It was really hard to walk away from the community that we have there. Um, and from this like you pour your heart and life and time into higher ed and making these connections and making a name for yourself in that it's, it's super duper hard to walk away from and feeling like you're starting from scratch. Um, you know, I had my teary moments, you know, letting folks know, but at the end of the day, they're still there. You know, I wasn't leaving Colorado, which, and this community here, which made it easier to transition. Um, but yeah, that's, that's never easy. And 
I guess at some point I had a conversation with the, when I decided to do this and I hadn't left Colorado state yet. I had a friend that, um, was a, has been a sounding board my entire time here. Um, basically say people here that won't let you fail. And if it doesn't work out, you always, you can always come back to rec. You've got enough experience. You jump right back in. And that's what really made it easy for me. I was like, Oof, thank you for saying that. I needed that. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, Cindy, I, everything that you just said is resonates so much with both Jamie and myself as, but I think a lot of our listeners, right. The, the stress of higher education, particularly during the pandemic, I think higher ed has always been stressful. Um, and I'll, yeah. I'll admit I pivoted and, and, and I believe Jamie did too. We pivoted before the pandemic, you know, it was stressful before, but I remember looking at the posts of my, my good friends who worked in, in orientation, which is same as, as rec sports, but you know, it's, it, it's higher ed. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm so thankful that I am not having to pivot, no pun intended, my entire program in a matter of a month that I had already planned a full year around, you know, because of the time campus is closed and, and uh, you know, the, the pandemic, you know, sort of reared its ugly head in the very beginning. And, and I think the mental stress and the mental health of, of higher ed professionals really took a toll. I think it, in general, you know, the, the U.S. population world, really, mental health took a toll. But certainly in higher education, um, you know, that became more evident. So I appreciate the story. Um, and, I, and I thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I want to wrap up, um, but I, I don't want to wrap up so quickly that we don't get some advice from you. And so sum up in sort of one sentence, and I know that that's hard. So if you need to take two or three, that's fine too. So sum up in one sentence, the advice that you have for someone who's maybe looking to make that first pivot out of a campus-based position. Yeah, one, I doubt I can do it in one sentence, but, you know, coming from, we're quote unquote, the masters of transferable skills, at least being able to put that down on paper. Um, so I think just, just like you've been doing with students, trust yourself that you've got the transferable skills to go do something different. And as long as you find something that you'll, you're going to enjoy, take a chance. You know, um, I, I think I've talked to enough people that have said, you know, in your 30s, you're still young enough to make a change. In your 40s, you're still young enough to make a change. In your 50s, you're young enough to make a change. So just go for it. You know, uh, you've got the tools. Believe in yourself a little bit more. It'll be all right. It'll work out. Uh, I'm a big believer in things will work out the way that they're supposed to. Well, I certainly appreciate that advice for somebody older um, than the two of you. I mean, um, I'm 35 too. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I will admit I am not in my 30s anymore. And so I appreciate the advice, Cindy, that you're giving. Um, and that no matter how old or young you are, uh, to make the pivot and the choices that, that best suit you. So Cindy, thank you so much for being on the show. It was really a delight talking with you. As Jamie said in the beginning, and maybe even before we started recording, love the opportunity to talk to somebody whose pivot is maybe a little bit more non-traditional mm-hmm. than some of the other folks. That and I know that our listeners will, will get a lot out of that. So thank you so much for joining us. For all of our listeners out there, thank you for joining us for this great episode of Pivoting Out of EDU. We look forward to the next one. Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. In addition to our podcast, we offer various ways to get support as you work through your career transition, including digital resources, one-to-one consulting, group workshops, and cohort-based blended learning experiences. For more information about these services and show notes, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. 
and if you haven't done so already, join our LinkedIn group called EDU Pivoters, where we share job opportunities and foster engagement between those who have pivoted and those who want to pivot.